And the good news is there's nothing used in the professional industry that cannot be used safely if it's used correctly. But it's all about education. So because I'm so interested in education, I went to the Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative and I said, hey, we have the same interest. We both want salons to be safer. We should work together to educate and teach salons to work more safely. And they said, no, 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 we don't have the same interests. You want to teach people how to work safely with toxics, and we want to get rid of the toxics. Hey, it's Julie with It's a Nail Thing, brought to you by Orly, where we highlight voices of leaders in every aspect of the nail industry to share with you career guidance, growth hacks, and hilarious stories. Whether you're a licensed nail pro or a nail enthusiast, there's room for all of us to build fulfilling careers, so stick around to learn and laugh. Today's episode was recorded via Zoom, so apologies if there are some moments that skip here and there, but I can't wait for you to hear this interview, so let's get into it. Welcome to It's a Nail Thing, brought to you by Orly. We are so excited today to have Doug Shun on the podcast, and if you don't know, Doug Shun is an independent scientist who is in the cosmetic, the beauty industry, And he owns his own company, Shun Scientific. And we are going to dig so deep into nail science, everything. It's going to be a really great episode. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I would love to know how you became a scientist, if that's something you always were interested in. And how did you end up in the cosmetic industry specifically and so focused on nails too? Yeah, you know, when I was a little boy, I went to what I thought was a magic show at our school. They came in the auditorium. And the the magician, who was really a scientist, I didn't even know what a scientist was at the time, was doing all these little magic tricks that were really based on science. And he called me up to the front of the of the of the auditorium, and he gave me he took this uh, like a napkin and or a, a cloth napkin. He dipped it in water and he rang the water out. And it wasn't really water; it was alcohol, but I didn't know that. And he said, "Now this is nice and wet." And he took it and lit it and threw it up in the air. And when it came down, he told me to pick it up, and it was dry. And that fascinated me. I go, wow, I want to do that when I grow up. And when I realized what he was, he was a scientist. I said, well, that's what I want to be. I want to be a scientist, not a magician. Oh, my gosh. That's really what got me interested in it. Uh, So I went to uh, Long Beach State University in California, got a bachelor's degree in chemistry. And I went to UC Irvine in uh, California and got a master's degree in chemistry. Because of that, I think that's how I got into the beauty industry, because I was teaching classes at the university, laboratory classes, not lecture classes. And the woman I worked for, her daughter was a cosmetologist. So I'm no fool. I'm going to go to my boss's daughter to have my hair done. And they knew I was a chemist. So they started asking me all kinds of questions. So I realized, wow, you know, they're working with all these things. They don't know what they're working with. And with a little bit of knowledge, it would empower them to work much more safely than they work now. So I put together a safety training program for them. And while I was putting together a safety training program for them, I met a lot of people in the beauty industry. And uh, the people I met in the beauty industry were fascinated that I was a chemist and said, hey, you could help us. So I started to work with companies to help them uh, develop products in the beauty industry. And that's really what pulled me into it. I worked uh, for a company for about 20 years, uh, running their laboratories or research and development. Then I decided I wanted to become an independent scientist. So 15 years ago, I went on my own, started my own company. And uh, that's what I do today. I work for companies that can't afford scientists, you know, big companies like L'Oreal and 
Redken and uh, all these companies, they have their own scientists, but a lot of small companies don't, and they really need technical information uh, so they can do what they do better and safer. So that's what I do. I help uh, companies that don't have scientists to make their products better, safer, and help them with their education uh, so they can teach people how to work more safely with their products. That's really been my goal all along. I started a company called, Cre uh, called, called Chemical Awareness Training Service, uh, which was uh, made videos for working safely in the beauty industry. So that's really how I got my start. And uh, to this day, I still have a passion for teaching people how to use the products they use in a safer fashion. Because it's easy to work safely if you know how. I love that. I love that you're able to help companies who can't afford scientists. Like, that's awesome. And something I'm sure a lot of people don't even think about, you know? Yeah, they, yeah it's not, you know, smaller companies just don't have a, a capacity of a budget for that. Yeah. A lot of marketers and the market yeah. lots of questions. So I get plenty of business from people like that. So I'm sure you know the biggest news, the most recent news in the nail industry has been all about UV and LED lamps. Um, and, you know, the researchers from the University of California, San Diego, and the University of Pittsburgh, they found radiation from nail lamps to be, and I quote, cytotoxic, genotoxic, and mutagenic, and compared them to tanning beds. To my knowledge, there has not been any real long-term studies on hand or nail-related skin cancer statistics in relation to gel lamps. And we've always known that UV rays can cause cancer. Like, that's why we wear sunscreen when we go out in the sun and if we're there for a long time. So what's the real risk here? Is, the, is, it, is it really the power of a tanning bed? What, is, what do you think the real risk is here? Well, this isn't new. This controversy comes up every four or five years. Someone publishes some crazy study uh, that gets everyone scared and uh, creates a lot of controversy. Here are the facts. If, if these were like tanning beds, if they tan your hands and they don't tan your hands. They don't redden your hands. They don't do anything like that. They're nothing like tanning beds. And the facts are actually any kind of UV light source, are there, these are thoroughly studied. They're international standards for UV exposure. And there's test methods that are developed for studying UV lamps. And there are people who do that. They're called photobiologists. That's their job. They study the effects of UV and visible light on the human body. So there, these lamps have been studied by photobiologists. They've been studied by people who really understand how to study them and study them properly. And when they're studied, they're found to be safe as used. When the first controversy came up, um, I was co-chair of what's called the Nail Manufacturers Council, a, a volunteer position, I'll say. Uh, and what we did was we hired some of these photobiologists, the leading ones in the country, Dr. Robert Sayer and Dr. John Dowdy, to study a wide range of UV lamps and give their opinions. And they came back with, with the opinion that these lamps were safe. In fact, Dr. Sayer said the exposure from these lamps is trivial. He says it's not a concern. There's nothing like tanning beds. There's no comparison between them, except they both emit a little bit of UV. Tanning beds much more to cause tanning of the skin, but nail lamps are designed to be safe. They're designed to emit very small amounts of UV light. So the risk from them is very, very low. In fact, I posted on my Facebook page a bunch of information that came from the study. In fact, let me pull this up. One thing that Dr. Robert Sayer said that people don't often realize is the back of the hand is the most photoresistant part of our body. 
Interesting. Back of the hand is four times more resistant to UV than our stomachs, our cheeks, and our shoulder, and twice as resistant as the back of our arms. So the back of the hand is naturally highly resistant to, to UV. Also, the studies show that the overhead sun gives you 11 times the exposure of UV, of, that a UV nail lamp will give you. And your hands are only in the lamps twice a month usually, and usually for six or seven minutes. So the, the exposure is very, very low. And the chances of anything happening other than a little bit of photo aging, which you know, we know we can get sunspots, that's about the worst thing that's going to happen. To me, this is a silly controversy that is really blown out of proportion. If you're concerned, all you got to do is wear some sunscreen, or all you got to do is cover the back of your hands. This is being blown way out of proportion. In fact, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has weighed in on this. I want to read to you what they say. They say that the FDA views UV curing nail lamps as low risk when used as directed by the label. To date, the FDA has not received any reports of burn or skin cancer attributable to nail lamps. So what is all this controversy? It's silly. The latest round is especially silly. A person who is not a photobiologist decided to do a study. And to do this study, what she did was she went out and found the most, the highest power UV lamp she could find. One that hardly anyone uses. I think it's not even used at all. But it seems she intentionally looked for the most powerful one she could find. And she tested them on cells that are nothing like the back of your hand. These are more like foreskin, very sensitive cells that are more sensitive to UV. And they didn't account for the heat generated by the lamp. These cells are sensitive to heat. So no surprise, these cells died. And when these cells died, they come to the conclusion, all UV nail lamps can cause cancer or mutagenic. Wait a minute. You didn't test all UV nail lamps. You tested one. So why the broad sweeping uh, conclusion? In my view, this is just my opinion, it seems to me this study was designed to make UV nail lamps look bad. They had a foregone conclusion. Uh, they wanted to make the lamps look bad. As soon as they came out their study, they started going around and telling everyone this is proof that UV nail lamps cause cancer, which is nonsense. Millions and millions of people use these new UV nail lamps for years and Hand cancers, back of the hand cancers, are very, very rare. And studies show they occur about equally between men and women. And there's no correlation between people who go to salons don't seem to be getting more of these. So from my, and I've studied this for years, from my perspective, there's no credible scientific evidence to show that UV nail lamps can do anything more than maybe cause some premature aging of the back of your hand. That would probably be the worst case scenario in my mind. So again, if you're concerned about that, as many women are, well, wear some sunscreen and you're going to be okay. But don't be afraid of UV nail lamps. That's foolish. That's so interesting. It just seems like there's such a big disconnect when it comes to the huge articles that come out and the research that actually is happening behind the scenes. I'm so confused as to why somebody would make them look bad. Like, what would be the purpose of that? Well, I think it's inexperience. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything nefarious going on. With I the see. Study. I just think it's an inexperienced person doing and, and other people involved doing studies that they don't really have an understanding of what they're doing. 
This is something photobiologists should be doing. Studies should be, be done. There's something called the RP27 international standard that, that relies, tells how to test UV lamps. This wasn't tested to the international standards as we had them tested by Dr. Sayer and Dr. Dowdy. So the test was done incorrectly and it came to incorrect conclusions. Now, I don't think their data is wrong. I think they jumped to conclusions and misinterpreted their data and they made their data seem like it meant something it does not mean. So I'm not thinking they're liars or anything. I just don't think they understand what they did and I don't think they understand that they exaggerated these results. But it does seem to me pretty strange that they would test one lamp, the most powerful one they could find, and then draw conclusions about all UV nail lamps out there. And the other thing that's really strange is they did a 20-minute study. They exposed these cells to 20 minutes continuous. Well, why is that if people are only exposed in three, two or three minute increments. Why not do a study that actually replicates what's done in the salon? What? What a crazy idea. <laughs> no, this is what they should have done. And I would encourage these researchers to go back and do the study right. Do a real study and you're going to find out that these UV nail lamps aren't accidentally safe. They're designed to be safe. Absolutely. Very interesting how you know, you can think you're researching something to your best ability and it just totally <laughs> doesn't give all the answers that it really should. That's very true. And there's plenty of information available for them to study. They can look at Dr. Robert Sayer and John Dowdy's paper. I don't know if they did, but they looked at it. They would have seen the information I just told you about the back of the hand is the most photoresistant. Um, they would have seen what they said, that the risks are trivial. Uh, they would have known all this information. Brown University, I think it was, did a study they compared, compared, I love this one. They compared UV nail lamps to the UV, uh, UV exposure that's doc, that dermatologists give to people with psoriasis. People with psoriasis go into UV, tan, UV boosts and they expose their skin to UV to cure their psoriasis. It's very, very effective. Well, they did a study and said, wait a minute. We looked at the exposures based on UV light. So we compared them to these psoriasis treatments. And you would have to get 250 years of daily exposure to UV nail lamps to equal one course of psoriasis treatments. From oh my gosh. It's crazy. It's, this is a crazy, really a non-issue in our industry. And it's really sad that people are attacking the industry. They don't realize that this isn't just fun and games. That's yes, their livelihood. There, yeah, exactly. There are people working in salons. They're making their money doing this. The nail industry is one of the largest employers of single mothers. This, oh, wow. A lot of people make a lot of money doing this and support their families. And they're out there with their mistakes and their misinformation. They're creating a lot of problems for these poor people. Uh, and it's just not fair. It really infuriates me. I would actually like to talk about HBO a little bit. So I'm not sure if you know, but HBO did come out with a show that dug into the adverse health effects of all the nail products and they actually featured some clips of you um, and your teachings and maybe didn't put you in the best light 
And I've seen your face-to-face with Doug Shun, and I've seen that you've advocated for proper use and, you know, proper ventilation when you're using these products and stuff. Would you like to say anything about how they painted you, maybe as somebody who's been paid by cosmetic companies to downplay the dangers of nail products? Because there were some clips of you, you know, like in the courtroom talking um, about these bills that were trying to get passed. And what would you say to that? Well, that's why they're mad at me. Um, because I'm an independent scientist. I don't work for a a company that can tell me, be quiet, Doug, you're causing us trouble. I can say what I want, and I do say what I want. And what I say is what I believe, and what I believe is based on facts and information. Uh, These groups don't like me, and the reason they don't like me is because I tell the truth. And one thing I tell people about them is don't trust these groups. Anybody is so, I haven't watched the HBO special. I'm not going to watch the HBO special. I don't care what they say about me. In fact, I'm kind of flattered that they would even consider me a threat to them. But why would they consider little old me a threat to them? Well, the reason is, is because I tell people the truth about these groups. They're fear-based activists. I'm an activist myself. I think activism is an important thing. But I don't think you should use fear. I don't think you should scare people into doing what you want them to do. So why would these groups, like Environmental Working Group, is the king of them all, why would they even bother doing this? Because they're actually corporations that don't pay taxes. They're 501c charities. So they collect huge amounts of money they pay no taxes on. Every time you go on the Environmental Working Group website, the first thing you'll see is a donate here button. And you can't leave their website without, hey, before you go, don't forget to donate here. They collect millions and millions of dollars in donations each year, fooling the public into thinking they're out there protecting them. Well, what do they do with this money? After they pay their executives huge six-figure salaries, then they use the money to create fear-based campaigns that dupe the media into putting this information out, because the media is looking for sensational stories. So they create these sensational stories. They get them on the media. Then they go to the politicians, well-meaning politicians, and they say, look at this, look at this, you've got to protect the public. They take their misinformation, they fool these politicians into passing needless regulations that really don't accomplish anything. And then with the rest of the money, they create more fear-based campaigns to go out and scare the public, so the public now will donate even more money to them. They're money-making machines. They don't have the best interests of people at their heart. They're out to make money. They're fear-based activist groups. And, my, and what they, why they really, really don't like me is I tell people, never give money to these groups. Never donate money to the Environmental Working Group or the Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative, which is a crazy name for someone who's actually against nail salons. These are anti-cosmetic groups that are just going to scare your customers and make them more concerned about your services. So if you donate money to them, you're not helping yourself and you're not helping the industry. In fact, I think these groups are a danger to America. They create a lot of irrational fear in, in our culture, and they make people way more fearful than they need to be. Somebody needs to stop these groups, and I wish I had the power to stop them, but I don't. It's just me. So all I can do is tell people, never donate money to these people. 
It's not in your best interest and it's not going to help you at all. It's going to make your business worse and more difficult to conduct because these people will generate more deceptions and trickery to fool the public into giving them more money. It's a sad, sad state of affairs. They did have a section where they were talking about the particles or the chemicals that they found in the air in nail salons and that they were doing all of this to kind of help the nail salon workers have better regulations. Do you think they did start with um, nail tech's best interest in mind and it just kind of turned into something else? What do you think happened? Well, first, I want to I address one other thing that they I hear. They say I'm a shill for the industry. Wait a minute. Nobody pays me to say anything. I do incredible amounts of volunteer work. The work I did for the Nail Manufacturers Council, all volunteer. I write chapters in dermatology books, about seven or eight different dermatology books, teaching dermatologists about the cosmetic industry, cosmetics, and, and and what the problems are so they can understand and advise their clients. I'm paid nothing for that. I have hundreds, a hundred at least videos on, on my YouTube channel, Face to Face with Doug Shoon. They're free and I accept no advertising because I don't want any indication that I have any bias at all. Nobody pays me anything to say what I say. So it's ridiculous that I'm a shill for the industry. And it just proves that these companies will say anything. Well, why do they want to do that? Is they want to intimidate other scientists and not say something. They know if we go after Doug Shoon, other people are going to be afraid to say anything because they might go after them. OPI one time stood up for, for against the industry, and they showed up in droves in OPI's parking lot with women dressed up like beauty queens with their makeup all smeared. And they called the media and said, the ugly side of beauty. And they unfairly attacked OPI. And OPI, of course, you know they're a company that want to make money. So they backed down and said nothing. They're, they use fear and intimidation to keep other people from speaking out against them. If they've done studies, I'd like to see them. I've done studies too as well. I've studied air quality in many, many salons. So I have a very strong understanding of what's going on in salons. And what I find, I, I talk to people about and I incorporate my education. Because to me, the most important thing to do is not scare people, but to teach people how to work safely. And the good news is there's nothing used in the professional industry that cannot be used safely if it's used correctly. But it's all about education. Education is the important key. So because I'm so interested in education, I went to the Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative and I said, hey, we have the same interest. We both want salons to be safer. We should work together to educate and teach salons to work more safely. And they said, no, 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 we don't have the same interest. And I said, what do you mean? We both want salons to be safer. I said, no, no. You want to teach people how to work safely with toxics, and we want to get rid of the toxics. I said, wait a minute, wait, that's crazy. Give me a list of what you think are the toxics that you want to get rid of, and they would never do that. They're really not about getting rid of, about teaching people to be safer. They're about making money. Environmental Working Group is the overreaching group for all these groups and they're underneath them. The EWG, Environmental Working Group, feeds money down to these groups to help make it seem like other people are saying the same thing they're saying. The Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative, which is a crazy name as they're not, is just an arm of the Environmental Working Group. 
It's a well-coordinated campaign against cosmetics. And again, like I said, the goal is to make money, not to make the industry safer. If the industry, why I want to make the industry safer, my invitations still exist. Let's work together. Let's create some valid education that can make salons safer and quit trying to scare people with all these crazy studies you've done. It's ridiculous. Some of the studies that there's been studies that say nail polish is uh, that that nail polish is dangerous. Wait a minute. Nail polish has been used since the 20s with very, very few problems. I don't hear about emergency rooms filling up with nail polish victims. What is all this? All of this free stuff was created by these groups to scare people and make them think nail polish is dangerous. I've heard both U.S. FDA and Health Canada say that cosmetics are among the safest products that they regulate. So why all the fear and make money for these groups? That's their main goal. Now, the lower echelon people, oh, they're all true believers. They believe what the executives tell them. But it's the executives who are lining their bank accounts with lots and lots of money because their business model is just to generate money, not to really do anything positive for the industry. That's incredible that you went to these groups to say, hey, we should work together. We have the same goal in mind. And what a crazy outcome. I would never love to do that. Some people get up, get infuriated with these groups they leave and they come and talk to me later and say, oh, they talk really bad about you, Doug. They say you're a liar and you can't be trusted. Well, that's news to me and news to a lot of people who are my followers. So I think people generally look at me as a very credible source of information. I'll call out both sides. If a manufacturer is doing something wrong, I'll call that out. If the activists are doing something wrong, I'll call that out. I'm interested in the truth. And I'm interested in getting the truth to nail professionals so they can work more safely. That's my only goal. I don't sell any products. I don't sell nail lamps. I don't represent companies that sell these things. And I don't speak for any company. I don't speak for anyone other than myself. One of the things that um, I thought was incredible was how much misinformation there is about nail anatomy. It's always, what is cuticle? What is the proximal nail fold, the epinicium? And you actually said, enough is enough. Let's define this. And you held a study where, you know, you worked with um, medical professionals and nail educators, and you set out to have a true definition of what these parts of the nail are so that there's not any more confusion. And that way we can work safer as professionals. If our clients are educated and they know what we should and shouldn't be cutting and what is cosmetic and what is, you know, something your body needs. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you decided to do that and how it all worked? You know, it's funny. Painters understand canvas. Sculptors understand stone. Nail technicians don't understand the nail. That's craziness. Uh, a very, very dear friend of mine, Vicki Peters, uh, a nail technician in the industry, came to me one time and said, Doug, it's crazy. People call everything the cuticle. I mean, we, we have cuticle softeners and we have cuticle removers. Well, we want to pamper the cuticle or we want to remove it. What do we want to do? It's crazy. There's so much confusion. So Vicky and I decided to set the record straight. Unfortunately, three months later, Vicky died, which was a terrible tragedy uh, for the industry, but she was a great educator. But in her name, I decided I'm going to carry on this goal. I'm going to, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Because there was so much confusion, I was confused. 
So I talked to dermatologists around the world who are experts in nail and are dermatologists who focus on the nail and understand the nail. Dr. Robert Baran in France, Dr. Howard Maybach uh, in San Francisco. There are some well-known dermatologists who are very, very good. Zoe Dralos, I think she's in San Diego, uh, up in Oregon. She was a past president of American Academy of Dermatology. These people are nail experts. So I consulted with them because they understand anatomy and physiology better than I did. So I got to the bottom of it. And I took all this information, I figured out what was right and what was wrong, and I published a, a drawing that shows the facts about the nail. Because I think if there's, we, we can't, we have to understand the basics before we can understand advanced information. So I created this diagram so people would understand what the parts of the nail are. And I encourage everybody to look at this diagram, find out what the parts of the nail are, and use these terms correctly. Your clients will love you for teaching them the correct information. Clients pay more for knowledgeable nail technicians. So be a knowledgeable nail technician. Get the facts and educate your clients, and you'll become even more valuable to them than just providing great services. Yeah, and actually, I can totally attest to that because, you know, when I started doing nails so long ago, I was not very good at it. But, you know, my clients came back to me week after week because I was sharing knowledge with them and they were being educated during their services. And, you know, I was lucky to have that, the education and the knowledge to share with them because I don't think I would have been able to have repeat clients at all until I, you know, gained my skill set. But truly knowledge is 100% one of the easiest ways to just retain clients and, you know, build your career. No, thank you for defining all this parts of the nail because there, there is so much confusion, especially just the word cuticle drives me nuts because there's a different, everyone has a different definition of it, you know? Yeah. And the, these are not my definitions. These are medical definitions yes. based on medical knowledge. Cuticle is the dead tissue on your nail plate. It's a thin, almost colorless layer of tissue that sits between the upper skin and nail plate and creates a seal that keeps bacteria from getting back in the nail matrix because uh, a confusion, uh, cause infection. Wow, there's a lot of confusion about that. You need to remove the cuticle from the nail plate so you get good adhesion of products, but you don't want to cut the living skin. Well, there are regulations and state regulations that misuse the word. And they say, don't yep. cut the cuticle. What? You have to be able to remove the cuticle. What they mean is don't cut the proximal nail fold. The proximal nail fold is where the skin comes down to the nail plate and bends back around over the nail plate. That little tip is your proximal nail fold. That's living skin. You don't want to cut that because when you cut that, it's like opening a window. Things come in. You open that window, bacteria can get into that tissue and cause infections. And infections are the bane of the nail industry. You don't want your clients to get infections. One client gets infection, they tell their friend, they tell their friend. It can ruin the reputation of a nail technician. It can ruin the reputation of a salon. It's one of the problems in industry we all need to work together to prevent. Nail infections are completely preventable. As long as things are done properly and correctly, we have proper sanitation and disinfection, we don't cut the living skin, we can prevent nail infections and make them extremely rare. It's, and unfortunately, they're too common. And this is a big challenge for industry. We need to put an end to this. 
As you know, this podcast is sponsored by Orly, but what you might not know is that Orly Plus is the educational platform made just for professionals that Orly recently launched. On Orly Plus, you can access free on-demand courses to master your skills, and that's available worldwide. If you are based in the U.S. or Canada, you also have access to the Orly Plus online shop, where professionals get 50% off retail on all Orly product. And this one is for you. It's a nail thing listeners who are licensed nail professionals. Get 20% off on your first order when you sign up on Orly Plus. Just head on over to orly.plus on your browser, O-R-L-Y dot P-L-U-S, and sign up if you are a licensed nail professional and use the code NAILPOD20, N-A-I-L-P-O-D-2-0, and you'll get 20% off your first order. I would love to know your thoughts on the Russian manicure and if you think there's any proper way to do that um, or if you think it's because you're basically removing the entire proximal nail fold at that point. Well, I don't like to call it the Russian manicure because it sounds like I'm prejudiced against Russians and I'm not. Uh, there's some Russian nail technicians are extremely talented. Uh, what they do is they cut that living skin because it sure makes the nail look nicer and looks cleaner. But it creates two problems. One, it causes, it opens up an opportunity for infection. Uh, and it makes allergic reactions more likely. Because if you get the product up on the skin, there's no barrier to keep it from getting into the skin to cause irritation or allergic reactions. So it's not really a good idea to do. Uh, I don't recommend you cut that living skin. Keep that skin healthy. The other problem is it's like a dog chasing its tail. When we get friction on our foot, we develop a callus to protect our foot, which is why you should never remove a callus completely from a foot. It's designed to protect it from from injury and damage and possible infection. But when you cut that proximal nail fold, it grows back keratinized, very, very hard and thick. Is this primed to protect itself? Well, nail technicians see that and they say, well, I got to cut that off. Uh, So they cut that off and it grows back thicker. And they cut it off and it grows back harder. So they're actually creating the very problem that they're trying to prevent. If you just take a, a good quality nail oil and tell your clients to use it while they're watching their favorite TV show, use it daily, soften that skin. After about a month, that hard tissue is going to start to go away and they're going to get back to their normal, beautiful, healthy, proximal nail folds and they won't have to have all that cutting done. It'll save you time and money and it'll lower the chance of them developing any kinds of problems from it. So my advice is never use a cuticle or an electric file, a cuticle nipper they're called, or electric file to remove that tissue. I call them machine manicures, by the way, because machines are usually used to grind that off. (laughs) It's risky business. I may look nice. There are other ways of getting beautiful nails without risking your client's health. I'm interested in your thoughts too, as you think there's a safe way to use a cuticle bit on the actual cuticle, not the proximal nail fold. You know, there are professionals who can do that. There are some people who are experts at nail, at at using electric files, and they can use the right bit and do that in a way that they don't cause any damage. The problem with electric files is this. People think just because they can buy one, they can use one. What? Just because if I bought a race car, it doesn't mean that I can race in it without killing myself. (laughs) Just because you can buy a nail file doesn't mean you know how to use it. You need to get education on how to properly use an electric file. 
so that you don't damage your client's nails or skin. Over thinning the nail plate is one of the biggest problems in the industry. People file too much. Less is more when it comes to filing the nail. There's an old saying that says, you can't build a strong house on a weak foundation. The thinner you make that nail plate, the more likely it's going to cause lifting. So if we file the product to get it off, and then we file the nail to make it stick, and then we file the product to get it off, and what? After a while, by the time the nail grows out to the free edge, it's much, it's half the thickness it would normally be or worse. No wonder the product peels away from the free edge so easily because the nail plate becomes unstable and too flexible and the product can't stick to it very well. The best thing a nail technician can do is keep the nail plate thick, healthy, and strong. Your clients don't pay you just to beautify their nails. They also pay you to keep their nail plates healthy. So file the least you can. All you need to do is file to remove the shine. The shine on the surface or nail plate are oils. Once you clean the nail plate, use a good quality cleaner, wash the client's hands first, use a good quality cleaner, remove that oil, and lightly file the surface of the nail, you'll find you'll get great adhesion without overfitting the nail plate. But if you take the product off later and you see there's a step down and the nail plate is thinner, it's not because the product ate the nail, there's no product that can dissolve the nail plate, not even primer. If you don't believe me, take some, a nail clipping and soak it in your primer. You can leave it in there for years and it'll never dissolve. There's, the nail is very, very tough. The only thing that eats the nail plate is an abrasive file. File less and your clients will be happier and you will be too because you will be doing so many repairs. For sure. And I always say the same thing that it's user error, not the products. Products can, can have problems too, but generally I think it's user error. I've seen nail technicians, some of the best nail technicians that I, I'm lucky. I get to work with some of the be best nail technicians in the world. That's where I learn. I talk to them and ask them questions and they get away with using a 240 grit file. Well, why then are there hundred grit files? A 100-grit file, if you looked at it magnified under a magnifying glass, which I show in my presentations, I have presentation where I show these files in 3D. That's dramatic. They are, they are like raking the nail plate or taking a hoe to the nail plate. They dig grooves in the nail plate and they weaken the nail plate. That's not needed. Uh, you don't need a 100-grit nail file. You don't even need a 180, I don't believe. I think maybe a 180 if you gentle touch, light hand. Don't use a heavy hand, but if you if you properly prep the nail before you apply the product, you can get away with a 240 grit and very little file. I would love to know what is a crucial scientific nail fact that you wish every nail tech would know. Well, there are probably two. One, use systems the way they were designed to be used. If a product A and a product B were designed to be used together, use them together that way. Don't use product X with product B. You may think you've come up with some cool, unique combination, but there are things called unintended consequences. Something else could happen that you didn't anticipate. Allergic reactions, for example. If you don't use products properly, it can cause skin irritation and allergic reactions. 
they're really easy to avoid if you use products properly. A perfect example of this are UV gels. UV gels harden when they're only 50% cured. What? So they may seem like they're fully cured, but they're not. And when you go to soak the nail off, it releases unreacted ingredients into the, into the solvent that can soak in your client's skin and cause allergic reactions or skin irritation. This is easy to avoid if you properly cure your products. Once they're properly cured, they'll be stronger, they'll be more durable, they'll last longer and be more problem-free, and they'll be unlikely to cause allergic reactions. The other problem with an improperly cured gel is, and this is any UV curing product, it applies to UV manicures as well, is the dust will contain a lot of unreacted ingredients that can get into your collar, get into your wrist on the back of your arms, because there's dust everywhere in nail salons. Shouldn't be, but there is. And the unreacted ingredients of the dust can cause nail technicians to develop allergic reactions. Keep dust out of the salon, wash your hands often, don't let products sit on your hand, residual products sit on your hand. These allergic reactions are caused by prolonged and repeated contact. Something sits on your hands all day, every day. It increases the risk of you developing an allergic reaction. And these are easy to avoid, but you got to try. You can't just use the products the way you want to use it. We call it cherry picking, picking out this and picking out that. Wow, wow, it seems like fun. But remember, there are unintensive consequences that you and or your client may pay if you do that. Stick with the system. Uh, it doesn't mean that you've got to use the, uh, the same nail polish with the same. I mean things that are designed to work together, part A and a part B, UV nail lamp, UV gel, UV manicure. You, you can't just buy any lamp you want. One of the biggest misconceptions in industry is that gel manufacturers that sell a lamp just want to sell you a lamp and you can go buy a cheaper one on the internet. Well, you can buy a cheaper one on the internet, but you're making a mistake if you do. Don't do that. Buy the lamp that's designed to cure the gel that you're using. And if the gel manufacturer that sells you the product doesn't have a lamp, ask them what lamp they've tested to ensure that it properly cures. If they tell you use any lamp, find another gel. Use a gel that's going to properly cure and use the lamp that's going to properly cure it. That's the best advice I can give the nail technicians. One of the things I hear from nail techs a lot is, you know, they'll hear about the quote unquote dangers of UV lamps and they'll say, well, mine isn't dangerous because I have an LED lamp, but LED produces UV light. Can you tell us a little more about that? I have an LED TV. It won't cure my gels. Why do we think LED is a kind of light? It's not. It's a kind of light bulb. We used to use fluorescent lights that produce UV. Now we use LED bulbs that produce UV. They're called light-emitting diodes. That's what LED stands for. LEDs can be tuned to emit all kinds of light, every color of the rainbow, but they also can emit UV. We use, in our industry, the kind of LEDs that produce UVA. Wait a minute. How do you cure a UV gel without UV? You can't. If you're using an LED lamp, you're using a, LED, a UV lamp. They produce more UV than traditional nail lamps. That's how they cure faster. So you can cure much quicker than you can with an old style lamp. People get confused about wattage. 
They think wattage is important. It's not. Wattage is how much electricity your lamp uses. LEDs have a third the wattage of traditional nail lamps, but they cure three times faster because they create more UV. Well, that sounds like it might be more dangerous. No, because your hands are under the lamp even a shorter period of time. So I've done studies on both, and as did Dr. Sayer and Dr. Dowdy, comparing those lamps. And the studies show that you're exposed to the same low levels of UV, no matter what kind of lamp you use. So any kind of nail lamp can be used safely, as long as you're using it properly and correctly, like the FDA said. You're not going to have problems as long as the lamps are used as directed. So that's another piece of advice I give the nail technicians. Read directions and follow them. Get the safety data sheet for your product and read it. Heed the warnings on your product. If it says avoid skin contact, avoid skin contact. Make sure you're using your products properly and you're going to have a long and prosperous career. Your clients will be problem free and they're going to love you. Yeah. And I actually make sure that anytime I'm buying a product that there is an MSDS sheet available. There are a lot of brands now, like smaller brands that come out that the products seem to be doing this miraculous thing. And I'm like, well, is this even safe? And when I ask for an MSDS sheet, they won't give me one. It's federal law. They are required by U.S. federal law to provide you with a safety data sheet. So make sure you get a safety data sheet. Now, they're not the end-all, be-all of, of information. Some of them are difficult to read, but there's really good information on, like, what do you do in case of an emergency? What if a little child comes in your salon and swallows something? What do you do? What if there's a, a, you get it on your skin? Is that important? What do you do? So safety data sheets have a lot of good information on them. So do the warning labels. Look at the warning labels and heed those warnings and use your products as they were directed to be used. Follow instructions. If the person that's selling the product isn't giving you instructions for how to safely use the product, find a company that will. There's a lot of responsible companies out there who give responsible information. And there's a lot of companies that give you no information and just tell you use whatever they want. Many of them don't even understand what's in their product. They're just throwing labels on it and selling it. Find companies that have educators that teach how to properly use their products. Educators cost a lot of money for these companies, and they do that because they want you to be successful with their products. They want you to use them properly so that you'll keep buying the product over and over again. Don't look for the cheapest product. And be really careful. There's a lot of counterfeit products being sold on the internet. Buy your products from authorized distributors. Don't look for the cheapest price because, again, you can run into those unintended consequences. And probably the worst case scenario isn't someone's going to get cancer. Nail products don't cause cancer. One product I'll caution everybody against, these miracle removers. They burst the nail. Cause them, you put an acrylic nail in it that normally takes 20, 30 minutes to remove. You put it in the, in the product and it removes it in five minutes. What? Be very, very careful of these products. Most of them are methylene chloride, paint stripper. They're sold by companies out of China. They sell them to distributors that don't know what they are. And they lie to them on the label and say they contain something different. Methylene chloride is banned in America for use in cosmetics by the FDA. No one should be using methylene chloride. 
And how do you know using methylene chloride? It's got kind of a sweet, sweet solventy smell and it'll remove your product ultra fast. It'll bubble up and boil them. Stay away from these products. They're not good for you. It's better to remove the products properly. And the way to do that is file the product down gently and to, to where it's thin and then soak it in acetone to remove the rest of it. Don't try to file off the nail plate. You can damage a nail plate. And contrary to popular belief, acetone is one of the safest solvents you can use. It's very hard to overexpose yourself to acetone. Overexposure to acetone, it'll dry out your skin. So use a good lotion to keep your skin from getting dried out. But people don't soak in it that very often. So it's not that much of a problem. It's flammable. Don't smoke around it and don't heat it up in a microwave or, or put it in your, on a pan to heat, much, to heat them up, which people have done. Treat them carefully. Use it properly. And you'll, you'll find that just simple acetone, if you use this technique I've talked about filing the nail plate down thin, will remove the product very quickly and easily. Avoid over filing the nail plate. Use these solvents safely and correctly. And again, you won't have any problems with them. But avoid any remover that removes the product in five minutes. It's not going to be safe. It's funny you say that because that's the exact product I was talking about when I asked the company for MSDS sheets and they would not give me anything. <laughs> Vinime is, is the company that first came into, our, into this country. I contacted eBay and Amazon both and told them this is methylene chloride. It's banned in the country. You should prohibit their sales. And I never heard back from either one of them. As far as wow. I know, it's still being sold on the internet. Avoid yeah. product. It's a dangerous product that should not be used. You want to avoid allergic reactions because once you become sensitive to your products, you're going to be sensitive for the rest of your life to those products. And it can, nail tech, you say, well, I've been using this product for 10 years and I haven't had a problem. I wore blue jeans for 30 years before I became allergic to that little button on the inside because it has nickel. Nickel is one of the most likely allergens uh, for people to develop allergies to. So it took me that long to develop an allergy to nickel. It, you could work, use the product for 15 years and then become allergic to it. Or you could use it for six months and become allergic to it. You never know. It depends on your immune system and depends on how you work. So work safely, keep the products off your skin and, you, and avoid prolonged and repeated contact. Wash your hands often. And of course, use the moisturizer to keep them from getting dried out. Don't wash your hands too often. You don't need to wash your hands 25 times a day. It can actually dry your skin out and cause skin damage and make you more susceptible to allergic reactions. Wear gloves. Wear disposable nitrile gloves. This nitrile is the least likely of all types of gloves to cause allergic reactions, whereas latex causes a lot of allergies. Avoid latex gloves. And avoid powder gloves because the powder inside them is cornstarch. And many people develop allergic allergies to cornstarch. Corn so a thick nitrile glove, about eight mils thick, is, is the kind of glove I recommend. Don't buy the cheapest gloves you can. Buy good quality gloves. And remember, they're disposable. They're not impenetrable fortresses. When you get product on your hand, peel them off, throw them off, dry your hands, and get a new fresh pair of gloves. That's a great way to prevent overexposure. And that's the problem we want to avoid. Simply coming in contact with products isn't the danger. It's overexposure to them for a prolonged period of time that causes the problem. 
That's why I say it's easy to avoid these problems. It's not going to just sneak up on you. It usually takes a long time of working unsafely before you start developing these type of problems. So be safe, be knowledgeable, and you can avoid these problems and have a healthy, safe career. What is it, so what is next for you? Do you have any products you're working on? Any research? What, what's next for Doug Shun? Well, that's primarily what I do for a living. Uh, I do a lot of education, but I don't make any money doing education. Uh, that's really because I am passionate about the industry and I love nail technicians and I want them to have the information they need. My primary job is twofold. I do a lot of expert witnessing. I get involved either for the fence or the plaintiff. I don't care. Attorneys hire me and I give them the information they need so they can settle cases uh, because I'm knowledgeable in hair and nails. So I uh, serve an expert witness for both. And of course, I do a lot of product development. Um, They don't sell any of these products. Companies hire me to develop products for them. Uh, And my goal, of course, is to make them as safe and effective as possible uh, because I'm a big safety expert. So I would never make anything that I thought was unsafe. Uh, So I'm passionate about doing that. I love doing both. But uh, eventually, I'm going to probably stop doing product development and just focus on education and expert witnessing because uh, product development, that's that's a lot of hard work. I'm getting to the place where I want to enjoy my life a little bit more and (laughs) more vacations, which I haven't had in years. So uh, that's probably what's in the future for Doug Shim. I love that. That's amazing. I would like to say thank you on behalf of nail techs who are, you know, very interested in learning more about what they do and what they're using. Like you said before, it's there's not many independent scientists who are researching these things. And it's really, it's just really great to have, to feel like you have somebody on your side who's elevating the industry and the knowledge that, that we need to have. Go to face, you know this, but go to face, go to YouTube and look up face to face with Doug Shum. About a hundred, two to three minute videos. They're all answering questions that nail technicians have sent me. I answer them on video and they're very short, easy to understand, simple terminology. I don't use a lot of complex terms. I took those, those videos and I turned them into my book series face-to-face with Doug Shoon. So if you don't like to watch videos, you can get my book and read it or just use it as a reference. You don't have to read the book. You can find the question you're looking for and you'll have a fact-based, honest answer uh, that's not biased and uh, is really based on my knowledge and, and my research. So make yourself a more knowledgeable nail professional and you'll be a happier nail professional. Well, this has been very informative, a really great conversation. I am so excited for everybody to hear everything that you had to say. And um, I just really appreciate you being on here. So thank you well, so thank much you for being much part for asking me. I'd love to come back sometime. If your readers have a bunch of questions they want me to answer, I'd love to do that and come back and answer or listener, I should say, not reader, listener questions. Because that's, that's my goal. I, I figure if I empower the nail technicians, that the nail technicians will use that information. And that's why I work with educators. I work with some of the leading educators in the world. The reason is, is because if I give them that information, they're going to teach that to thousands of people and reach people that I don't have time to reach or the ability to reach. So I think education is super important. In fact, it's probably the most important thing a nail technician can do. Educate yourself. You can never know enough. And simply knowing how to do beautiful nails is not enough. As long it's enough as long as things are going right. But when things are going wrong, now what do you do? 
a lot of people do the wrong thing simply because they don't have the right information. Get the right information, become a good problem solver, become a good detective. And if you have the right information, you can figure out your own nail problems and know what to do and make your clients' nails safe as they can be. I think that would be incredible to have listeners ask any questions that they have and and get you back on here sometime. Love to. Count me in. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in to It's a Nail Thing brought to you by Orly. If that didn't want to make you immerse yourself in nail science education, then I don't know what will. A big thank you to Doug Shun who shed some light on the UV nail lamp study that wasn't based on proper salon usage. He stressed the importance of working safely and we dug into the anatomy and proper definition of cuticle and so much more. Check out his series of books called Face to Face with Doug Shun on Amazon or watch on YouTube to get all your nail questions answered. The power of knowledge will only elevate your career. And let us know if you have any other questions and we might bring Doug back to answer those. Don't forget to follow Orally on all socials and also at Orally Plus on Instagram. And make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so don't be shy to leave us a review. A big thank you to Phonogenic Studios for killing it with the audio during this interview. We will be back next week with another episode and another great guest. If you want to suggest somebody we should interview, email us at podcast at orlybeauty.com. 